Welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. Today, we're talking all about crowdfunding with Courtney Boyd Myers, the founder and CEO of Akua, who has run several successful crowdfunding campaigns for her kelp jerky company. With the most recent one raising over 28K in the first 24 hours of her launch on Kickstarter and ended with a final raise of just over 71K. That's awesome. So CBM joins us today to share her crowdfunding tips for ensuring that you are set up for success when you're ready to execute your own campaign. Let's do this. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is supported by Canva, one of my favorite online tools for creating beautiful on-brand sell sheets, promotional materials, social media posts, website graphics, and more. I use Canva Pro every single day in my business. And I love that I can save my brand colors, my fonts, and my templates on their platform. It takes the guesswork out of designing graphics and it saves so much time as my brand elements are at my fingertips. Since their launch in 2013, Canva has helped more than 15 million users and claim to have a design made on their platform every 30 seconds. That's nuts. Try out Canva today by visiting the link in my profile and start creating beautiful on-brand designs in minutes. Hey there, Courtney. Welcome to Food Biz Whiz. Hey, Allie. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about crowdfunding, but let me do a little intro because my whizzes are going to be so excited for our conversation. I know you guys, my listeners, have asked so many questions about how to execute a successful crowdfunding campaign, questions about whether or not it's worth the effort, how to do it, how to get the max return on investment. I'm sure we've seen all, all seen really successful campaigns like yours, like Akua's, and ones that just kind of flop. So CBM is going to share some of her best tips to ensure that my listeners are getting the maximum reward for your hard campaigning work because it's a lot of work. And if you don't know her already, it's about time that you made the connection. So let me tell you a little bit about Courtney and we're gonna dive right in. So Courtney, or CBM as most people call you, you've got a really robust background in journalism and marketing, which led you down the path of starting Akua. So you started your career as a journalist writing, I love this, writing about robots at Forbes magazine. And then you created a marketing agency based between London and Berlin. And you worked with dozens of tech startups, helping them scale as a plug-in CMO. And then you moved back to the States and you became the global community director of Summit, hosting events like Summit at Sea and Summit DTLA. And that's where you met dozens of other incredible entrepreneurs working across health and wellness and food and beverage. And you decided you wanted to start an eco-conscious brand that would create food that's just as healthy for you as it is for the planet. I love, I love that line. And that's when you started dreaming about Akua. So CBM, can you tell us a little bit more about that transition to the CPG industry and the 
the early days of Akua, the start of Akua? Yeah, sure. So it was 2017 mm-hmm. and I visited my first kelp farm out in Connecticut, which is where I grew up. And I went out on this boat with my friend who had gotten into kelp farming through working in renewable energies. And because of the environmental benefits of the kelp farm, which I'll get into, he got really excited about this new form of what is called regenerative aquaculture. Mm. So I was, you know, I'm always up for a trip to the beach, (laughs) any excuse to get on the water. And I was like, I'd love to come visit your kelp farm. We went out, he pulled up a rope And on that rope was growing this beautiful, big, brown kelp leaf. And I ate it right off the rope. I also ate a raw scallop. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And how do I get more people understanding even what kelp is, get them eating it so that we can grow this awesome regenerative aquaculture movement, create tons of new jobs for fishermen and also help to reverse a lot of the ocean acidification that's been caused by excess carbon and nitrogen. Uh, And so that's really when I decided to start Akua. And we started doing R&D on different food products. uh, And we came up with kelp jerky, our first product that uh, took us almost two years to to get through the supply chain setup and the R&D and manufacturing. But we launched uh, kelp jerky on Kickstarter in March 2018. I told everyone... We're gonna launch. We're gonna launch this in March. We're gonna deliver you your kelp jerky in July. It's gonna mm-hmm. be great, um, which was crazy. And we'll get into more of that. But we actually finally launched the product um, to all of our Kickstarter backers and the and the public um, on Earth Day uh, this year, twenty nineteen. Cool, awesome, congratulations! So, for people who haven't tried your product or are sitting here scratching their head on kelp jerky, can you describe what? what the jerky is like and what the experience of eating it is like? Yeah, great question. So when we started doing R&D on creating kelp jerky, and we had we had we looked at a lot of other products, like chips are a big market. Mm-hmm. I think if mm-hmm. I could do it all over again, I just would have made kelp chips. They'd be really <laughs> easy and everyone just wants to eat either salty or sweet is what I've learned. Yep. Even though they say they want healthy products. Yeah. It's just been this big fallacy. Um, So we started making, but I digress. We started making kelp jerky and crave jerky, um, which is meat jerky, had sold to Hershey's for $300 million around this time. And we were like, whoa, people are clearly liking jerky. And and not just people, but more specifically, women are liking jerky. Crave Jerky was one of the first companies to have about a 50-50 demographic split between men and women. Yeah. Previously, all jerkies like look like condom wrappers and have like some very masculine animal on them and are, <laughs> you know, very much marketed towards men. Yes. And what Crave did really well is creating this softer artisanal bite. And so we, you know, knowing that we were in this plant-based space, ocean lovers, sustainability, we figured, and me being the head of the company, we figured that women were going to be uh, probably the majority of our, our early customers. So we created kelp jerky to have a soft, chewy bite. Um, and it, it really, the tricky part about it is it's, it's not similar to anything else that's out there. You know, yeah. it's, 
It's chewy. It's kind of like in between a soft jerky and a fruit leather. Yep. Uh, it's 70% kelp. So it's definitely ocean tasting. There's shiitake mushrooms in there, pea protein, chickpea flour, nutritional yeast. Um, it's, it's all like very clean, mostly organic ingredients. And so the chew of it, it's, it's very filling as well. So one bag of kelp jerky, it's six ninety nine, but like that is like like fills me up in the way like a lunch would. Mm-hmm. And in contrast that to any other sort of seaweed snack that's on the market, which is mostly those like nori strips, which yeah. you kind of eat, they taste good. You think you're getting health benefits, but they're like so not satiating. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, kelp jerky is meant to be this chewy filling, um, you know, delicious vegan snack. I haven't told you this, but the, my first experience with Akua was when I had a lunch date with Sally Rogers of Parsnip and she brought, I love her too. Sally's great. Sally did, I think she did episode number three of Food Biz Wiz with me way back when I just, just started and she so wonderfully volunteered to get on air with me, but she brought a bag of Akua to a, a coffee date that we had together and it just really opened my eyes to a whole new side of jerky that I, I got so excited about. Yep. And, you know, I think people who have, you know, experienced the product, there's like a generally like 50-50 split. 50% of the people are like, I love this. I want to mainline it. I can't believe this Mm -hmm. didn't exist before. I want to travel with this everywhere. And they're buying it in half pound bags from our website. And then the other half of the people are like, looking to take out their shotguns and run after me because uh, I made them eat palm scum. Yeah. This is, I I know we're we're getting, we're, (laughs) we're getting a little bit off topic, but I'm actually, I think that this is valuable for our listeners. Do you care when people get upset after they, they experience a Kua? Do you care about those people who are coming after you? Um, well I do, you know, I, because it's, it's kind of like you send your like dorky child into school and they get made fun of and you know, your child's like really, really intelligent and is going to save the planet. But like (laughs) all those, you know, like all those bullies in school who are eating Doritos, um, are being mean to your child. And so, yeah, I do get hurt. I mean, I think it's just, I focus on the positive. I just, you know, you have to just double down on, on who loves it and keep zeroing on them. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, that meat loving man is potentially <laughs> never going to be converted to a kelp jerky enthusiast. And that's okay. You can't win them all, right? Yeah, exactly. But, okay. So, great transition here. Speaking of winning, you had such a winning crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter. And that's what I want to talk about. When I, when you and I were brainstorming topics here and we had a few to choose from the Kickstarter one to me was the crowd, the crowdfunding one was so clearly the winner. I feel like you could talk about a lot of different topics, but crowdfunding is one that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. And it's one that I get so many questions about. So can we, can we start high level and talk about crowdfunding as a whole? Like who should crowdfund? Who shouldn't? What should they think about when they're choosing to crowdfund? Yeah. So I have been a big fan of Kickstarter since they launched. Uh, One of the founders went to my high school. And Mm -hmm. so I've looked at, you know, the platform I've backed dozens, if not hundreds of campaigns. And I also know the founder of Indiegogo. And so I was 
you know, and we we took our our Kickstarter onto Indiegogo after, and we can talk about that strategy in a, in, a, in a bit. But the point is, people should choose to crowdfund when they themselves have backed crowdfunding campaigns, mm. because you will then understand the platform, the network, you know, what it means to be a part of essentially the Kickstarter community. And I would also, you know. I chose to crowdfund. It was a no-brainer for us um, because I have been a journalist and a marketer. I understand how to tell stories, how to create content, how to drive buzz around launches. And I also have a massive network. So from day one, when we launched the campaign, I launched it to about like 10,000 people. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think you can't launch something to an empty room. Yeah. Um, and it, it really took me my whole career to kind of build that type of network. And so I also think you want to have um, a very, very unique and compelling story that people want to get behind because crowdfunding since Kickstarter launched, I think maybe 2009, it was a long time ago, like people are getting tired. Yeah. It's so, so saturated. Yeah. Ma- massively saturated. I'm sure there's been like 50 nut butters that have launched on <laughs> Kickstarter. So differentiation is really key too. Yeah. And so I can imagine yeah. listeners sitting on the other end of this podcast getting bummed out when they hear this, right? They're like, I don't have a 10,000 person email list. I don't have a journalism background. How can I raise money for my business? Like I still need that I still need that. And I was counting on crowdfunding to be successful in, in helping me get some capital here. Um, what would you say to that person who's sitting on the other end, feeling bummed out, knowing that they don't have the resources that Akua did at launch? So if so, the, there's kind of two core things there. One is um, ability to storytell. And two is ability to have a network to launch to. So mm-hmm. firstly, there is... Uh, and and they both require money to fix, right? Yeah. It's like if you don't have the personal resources, you generally have to hire out to fix them. Um, for the first one, in terms of storytelling, I mean, there you throw a rock and you're going to hit an agency that helps Kickstarter companies. Yeah, and there's so many out there, and they're all people who generally are, are going to be honest enough to to not take you on as a client if they don't think you're going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so those agencies, I mean, again, like there's a lot that you just seem to set up a structure where they're actually only getting paid out if you succeed as well. Mm -hmm. And so they can help you with the content and the storytelling. Um, They probably have a ton of different audiences that they've built up that they'll allow you to market your story to. But if you want to go about it and and build that community more naturally, I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to do that and build your own email list before launch. Yeah. Um, and then generally, like you know, PR it really helps too. And and just make sure you have a website up that you know a year before you want to do a campaign where you're collecting email addresses. Hey, we're cooking up something interesting. Drop your email. We'll let you know when we launch on Kickstarter. Yeah. You know that that's just a no brainer. 
I've said it a lot on the podcast here, but I, I feel like so often these emerging brands don't value the don't value an email list and think that just because they've got a robust social media presence or a lot of Instagram followers that it means that they're all that they're set. But when we think about something like this, where you actually want to get directly into their inboxes and have a big ask like a donation to a, a Kickstarter, it you know, you can't underestimate the importance of collecting those email addresses leading up to your launch. I mean, and even after, you know, emails are so important. I think in the digital marketing stack, you know, we've looked at having limited budgets as we've grown our, our D2C business with Kelp Jerky this year. And we've invested pretty much solely in email marketing, whether it's Dojo Mojo or a designer, like, you know, because Facebook and Google or or Facebook and Instagram ads, I should say, you know, you really have to spend about five grand a month to even apparently like understand what's working or not. And we don't have that kind of budget. So we've invested in email. And I just think, um, you know, text message is also a really interesting way to start building um, lists, but we're not really there yet. I think email is still king when it comes to um, pushing sales. Oh, I love hearing you say that because I completely agree there. That's been my strategy as well. Okay, so you decide to you decide you're going to crowdfund. What happens next? Right. So, you know, we we knew we wanted to do this because we knew um, we had like the the right elements. Um, I will say one other thing, which is I know a lot of people who choose not to crowdfund as their business. They don't want it to come across as a project. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they want it to come across as this like slick came out of nowhere, big bang that launches and has this like beautiful website. Kickstarter can feel a little like homegrown. Um, and so I, I just want to put that out there that there's, you know, some people, a lot of people told us not to do a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, so we, we, when we, you know, knew we wanted to do a Kickstarter, you know, obviously there was choosing the platform. We, we knew we wanted to do Kickstarter because we knew we could do Indiegogo after Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we basically, you know, we had done a crowdfunding campaign prior on a now defunct platform for food and bed called Pie Shell. Yep. So we'd raised about 10 grand on pie shell, mostly from friends and family and food industry folks and made like a lot of mistakes in that (laughs) campaign. Like we sent out kelp jerky and little craft paper packages because we didn't have our (laughs) packaging and, and the air got in. So everyone just got like stale kelp jerky. It was like so sad. And I somehow like, I'm still like walking and, and I was, people were upset. Um, so we knew that we we were a different brand then. We were called Beyond the Shoreline. So we saw Kickstarter as our opportunity to like introduce the new brand, which is Akua. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we pulled a few friends asking for advice and everyone said, launch on Kickstarter, do your subsequent projects on Indiegogo. Um, and so, you know, what I did um, and, and what I do in all areas of my life and I don't know something is, is from being a journalist, I just interview, interview people who do know something. And so, um, you know, Kickstarter is great in the sense that they have people that work on their team to like help make sure your projects are successful because that's how they make money. Mm -hmm. And I got introduced to the founder of like Cosmic Ice Cream, um, and other like high level successful food creators, um, like, and, 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 and consumer creators. So like Satya Twena had an amazing hat company, John Wiseman had Curious Elixirs. And I just said, best practices guys. And I asked hundreds of questions and took tons of notes. And, and I think that was like, you know, really, I I got so much good advice from those interviews. 
Yeah, I can imagine, right? It's like, why reinvent the wheel? You should, you know, do what, do what has worked for others. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you just, you were all in on Kickstarter. You did a ton of research on how you were going to have a successful campaign. And, and can you share some of the tips that people told you over and over again and how they played out with your own campaign? The first one uh, was just how important it is to have endorsements. Like that's why when you go to a website, whether it's a consumer tech brand or food brand, you tend to see like all the logos of logos of the media that that brand's been in. Like, and, and I don't, I didn't always think like that's important, but it is really important. So we were lucky enough. We had a Richard Branson quote that, I saw that. I saw that. I was like, how did that happen? (laughs) It's an amazing story. I basically was on a three day triathlon to raise money for the Branson family foundation and um, I, I had kind of, you know, seen Richard, I'd said hi, but like, I don't have any business talking to Richard Branson, or at least I felt I didn't. And then the last day after he had run 13 miles up um, an active volcano, I, you know, he's starving and he's in like this restaurant with me. And I went up to him after he'd kind of finished his lunch and I said, hey, I, I've got some kelp jerky. It's, it's, you know, it's trying to save the planet with snacks. I'd love you to try it. And that's when he was like, you know, okay. So, uh, and he loved, he loved it. And, uh, and I, you know, memorized his quote and basically put it all on our website. <laughs> I love that. That sounds like a fake story, like him running up a volcano and <laughs> trying the kelp jerky afterwards. I love that so much. And I think that that's something just to, to sort of underline in that story is like when you're a founder and you're crowdfunding or you're selling you have to be shameless. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like you have to be like on the subway. I, the other day I saw someone eating beef jerky and I was like, Hey, you look like you care about the planet. Do you want to try kelp jerky? And she was like, uh, and I like literally like opened up a bag of kelp jerky and made her eat it. She liked it. I gave her the bag. I gave her my card, like with a discount code on it. And I was like, cool. I got to get off now. Uh, I love that. Okay. So endorsements, are big, yeah. right? And you have been like top of the page, you know, essentially social proof that people besides the founder like this product. Yep. And then I would say, um, actually thinking about like the structure of your campaign is really important. And what I mean by that is the pricing tiers. So like what your prize or what they call rewards packs are. So mm-hmm. you always want like a lower price tier that isn't going to cost like you much money. So we did like a $5 digital cookbook yep. and we you know we just PDF'd it and emailed it out like a Dropbox link. Yep. Um, and so everyone like that just is like trying to be nice, but doesn't have, you know, doesn't want to invest like anything more than five bucks does that. A lot of people do a dollar. I felt like if you're going to do a dollar and you're actually going to go through the process of entering your credit card info, like I can get $5 from you. Yep. Um, and then the most important tier is actually your lowest price tier that still gets the funder, the core product. And so in our case, this is a three pack of kelp jerky. And a three pack of kelp jerky on our website now is $19.99. What we did for the Kickstarter was we did $25 because like we were actually trying to like raise money for our business doing this. You just like raise money for exactly what your product costs or what a lot of brands do is even use it purely as a marketing tool and would have put a three pack of kelp jerky at 15 bucks. Right. 
you know, we, we didn't do that. And so there's a lot of like things to think about there. I think if you can, it's always better to like have a, a preferred rate for your Kickstarter early funders because like they don't want to see eventually that it's like more, uh, more expensive on the Kickstarter than your site. Right. Um, what we would say is like, you're getting it before anyone else in the world. Um, which was like, you know, kind of true. And we'll get into like our fulfillment hell after. <laughs> um, and then we did, you know, you do like a, you do like early bird version and then, you, you know, for the first 50 people in 24 hours, and then you do like at the, at the end of the campaign, you, you kind of sell out the, the middle tier and you do a, like a late bird. Um, okay. So what I'm hearing is that it is important to remember that at the end of the day, the Kickstarter or whatever crowdfunding campaign you're doing at the end of the day, the important is that importance is that you make money. And so if you are charging, if you're losing money on it, or if you're, you know, um, charging your typical cost, then that really, that, that diminishes the return of the campaign, right? Yes. And like everything in business, everything's going to cost more and take more time than you think it is. So (laughs) one thing that, um, is like a a real gem of a a tip is so shipping costs are factored into your goal. So what I mean by that is, you know, for shipping costs, we were pretty nervous about losing money. So we factored in some padding. So if someone has committed $25 to buy kelp jerky, and then they get to check out. Most of them are not going to cancel with $7 shipping. Um, and we, we, we know that it probably actually would only cost about $5 to ship, but like we mm-hmm. just had that. And all of the money that people pay for shipping, that goes through hitting your goal. Right, right. So that's not like an extra thing. So that's, I think, definitely charge for shipping for, yep. for that reason. These guys are supporting an early business. They, they're okay with paying shipping. Yep. Um, and then... Yeah. So those are, those are kind of like really important things for setup, um, on, on the campaign and then we can get into like content and video and social media. Yeah. So you set up the campaign and then the day comes when you've got to press go and you turn it live, right? Yeah. Well, even before this, the video. So the video is hugely important. Um, most people, even my friends stopped watching 50% of the way through. <laughs> so like, you know, we had a three minute video. Like if you can do a like one minute 30 video, mm-hmm. you're amazing. Or if you can just make it like crazy compelling, like the cosmic ice cream video is awesome. If you're listening, definitely check that out. They're now like in stores nationwide. Um, you know, our video we created for less than a thousand bucks and most of that went to paying for some stock video. And then I had to like rehire a videographer because the first videographer I hired, like shot it in like 15 X speed and so we couldn't use it. And anyway, I would also make sure that like, as you're shooting this video, if you are paying money, you know, we had like awesome friends that helped out, but you'll probably have to pay, you know, between a thousand and 5,000 bucks unless you have nice friends. Um, make sure that you shoot it in a way that like part of it can be evergreen at least for like the first year. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to check out that cosmic ice cream video. I'll link it in the show notes for our listeners as well. Um, but I think, so your video was great too. It's literally like you in the ocean. Yeah. With the kelp. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I, it was, it was February when we were shooting. So I was in the ocean in Cape town. So it was a little warmer, but then I came, then I realized that all that 
footage had been messed up. So I had yeah. to shoot in um, Cape Cod in February, which was oh. really cool. Yeah, mm. that's that's a, in a quite suit. different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so you create this video, you create the content. Are we now ready to press play and turn on our campaign? Almost. So then you have to make sure that like your website, your social media, so your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, like everything is primed so that like, it's all going to link to like, you know, Kickstarter's coming. And then the day of everything gets switched over to like Akua is on Kickstarter and everything like descriptions, like it, it just has to be humming. Um, that's super important because people are going to hear about your brand. They're going to see it on social media. They're going to go and see that it's the website's not in the description that you're going to lose. Yep. Um, so everything, you know, you have to create like good social media assets. I love Canva. It's an awesome tool for doing that. Um, yeah. And then PR and media is on launch day. Super important. Um, we, you know, we had a social media intern that helped us identify an email about like a hundred influencers before the campaign. We had, um, in that like hundred influencers, probably 20 of them were, were actual press. And we sent out samples to all those people, you know, or we hand delivered them with cards and stickers so that like we asked them like the day of the campaign to like get excited about the launch. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we also, I think what's really crucial is that the night before the campaign launch, I emailed personally a hundred of my closest friends and family and just was like, please back us tomorrow. Yeah. Because it is so crucial that you raise at least, you know, 50% of your total goal in the first 24 hours. And I can explain why, but if you raise at least 50% of your total goal in the first 24 hours, Kickstarter data says you have a 90% chance of succeeding in your final goal. If you do not, you have a 60% chance of failure. So that first 24 hours is crucial. Yeah. And so that's where you, you need that momentum right at the beginning. So you email your hundred people the day before saying, we are about to go live. Here's why it's so important. You back us in these in the next 24 hours. And so then when you're emailing the next day, they, they already have that in their brain and they already have that urgency, right? Correct. Yeah. So I then basically, uh, the morning after I, 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 I hit publish at like 7am and I spent the next two hours emailing like a core group of a hundred people that I had given that heads up to the day prior, asking them to pledge and share the campaign that momentum alone got us picked up by Kickstarter's algorithms and, you know, more on that later. And then we received quite a few donations through the Kickstarter new projects section. Mm. Once that campaign hit 5k in funding that day, I then sent an email announcing our Kickstarter to our, our, our whole mailing list, which was between 8,000 and 10,000 people. Yeah. And so um, you had momentum and you had almost something to celebrate. You had a reason to like, get them on board, right? Um, with that five, with that 5k goal already people, hit. People want to be aligned with success. Yeah. So no one's going to go to a campaign page and see you have $300 raised and put money in. Yeah. They, they see something that's going, they want to jump on. It's just human behavior. Um, yeah. And then it was kind of promoting in iMessage, Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all of our brand channels and all of our personal accounts. 
Yeah. Oh my God. I'm exhausted just listening to <laughs> your campaign <laughs> setup. And so did you, do I remember correctly? Did you say it, t- it took you about three months of planning the campaign? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's one of those jokes. So it's like, you know, you, if you're, I, I knew I wanted to do this for two years. So like I'd been thinking about yeah. it for a long time. You know, we launched in March and I remember building out like spreadsheets with my spreadsheet husband and he like basically getting people's pledges that were big that promised it and like, you know, graphing out like how much we thought we would be able to raise in that first 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and there's this great website called KickTrack and KickTrack allows you to see all of the funding um, graphs of every project on Kickstarter. Oh, like, cool. <clears throat> That's awesome. awesome. I'll link that in the show notes as well. I think that that would be so valuable to project what what someone can do with their own campaign, right? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to have us take a quick little break and then we're going to come back and talk about a few pains to avoid. And then I want to hear the story about your campaign fulfillment and we'll wrap it up. Sound good? Yeah, great. Okay, hang tight. Food Biz Wiz is supported by Canva, my favorite tool for designing on-brand graphics for my business. I love it for my web graphics, my podcast graphics, and for my social media posts. And my clients love it for their sell sheets, trade show materials, shelf talkers, and promo kits. You are going to be blown away by how easy it is to use Canva, and I can't wait to see what you design. Try it out today by visiting the Canva link in my show notes and get to designing beautiful graphics within minutes. Okay, so we're back. Um, CBM, I want to talk about some of those pains that I know happen time and time again with Kickstarter campaigns. Tell me what we need to avoid when, when crowdfunding. Um, so the first one is to have very reasonable, uh, time commitments in terms of getting your prize out. We, I I came from technology and startups, (laughs) so, uh, everything in my head was like, you know, if you can think it, you know, you've got a couple sprints to get through, you'll execute, it's there. And like food is just so different. And so we launched in March. I told everyone we'd have products then by July. Like that was batshit crazy. So we actually, you know, as I I mentioned at the beginning, we didn't fulfill until April, 2019. So almost, you know, a year after our Kickstarter. So I think that would have been really important, um, to actually give like a really, I don't think we would have said, you know, it's going to be a year before you get your snacks. Cause I don't think people would back it then, Um, but just a more reasonable timeframe or like not even, you know, estimated like nine months, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we probably could have done a better job of coming up also with more creative stretch goals. Cause like we hit you know, 50 K that was like double our goal, um, within a couple weeks. And then we, we really wanted to hit a hundred K and we, we kind of petered out around 70 K. And mm-hmm. I think like we just didn't have much to promise beyond that. Um, so big, big mistake also that we made, um, like, I I just can't believe how much spam you get as a founder, especially like in a marketing role, like every day now I get emails being like, let me help you help you with influencer campaigns, your online ads, like blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I'm like, all these people are shameless, but I get it. So then there's a, you know, moment in your Kickstarter campaign where like, I think maybe an hour after you launch, you get hit up with these thousands of these agencies that are telling you that they can 
you know, promote your campaign and, and, and take it through to 100K and they're only going to cost $4,000 plus a setup fee plus a percentage of pledges. And, and we got totally sucked into that. We were yeah, like, you did it, right? Yeah, you we did yes. it. Yeah. So funded today, I'll call them out. Um, and I have to say, they drove about, you know, everything's trackable. The, the trackability of this campaign, it's so much fun. So they drove about $4,000 worth of pledges our way. Yeah, but that um, was their fee as well, right? That was their fee. And then, of course, when you when you take into account the cost to fulfill those pledges, like, we didn't win. Um, but at the same time, like, it wasn't terrible. And yeah. so we're going to just like not beat ourselves up over that. Right. Could have been um, worse. Could have been a lot worse. It definitely could have been worse. Um, we organized two parties. We had a bunch of press. Those are really important. I think the in real life parties are a lot of work, but I love throwing parties. So it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you can spend 400 K and you can make a million dollars on Kickstarter. We chose to be pretty lean. We didn't, I, I don't know what our total costs were, but they were, they were, they were probably around like, I don't know, 10 K to make a 70 K. You yeah. know, it was, we were lean. Um, Kickstarter is an, an incredible platform, but it, it is a, a major investment. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think getting, getting people, their prizes on time, their rewards on time was, was really hard for us. Um, we ended up like as soon as we could get them out, we did. And then we also kind of turned on online sales on our, on our websites. We just like had to start bringing money in at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, overall, like I think we, we had all this feedback obviously from the commenters on, on Kickstarter and all the comments are live. And some of them were like, thank you. This was worth waiting for. You guys are amazing. And some people were like, I just ate something that tasted like a school of fish got scared uh, by a shark and they sharted. And then you picked up that shark and you oh. it in a bag. And I was like, great. And, um, you know, it was just it, like, again, it was kind of like these people were really romanticized by the story. They wanted to back it. They didn't love kelp to begin with. They didn't love jerky bean with, yeah. but um, but we found, you know, we still have people that buy crazy amounts of kelp jerky for us, um, that were part of the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. I love it. So at the end of the day, it was, it was really successful for you, but it, it took a lot to get there. And certainly your background in storytelling and marketing was, was key to making it successful. Absolutely. You know, we had over 1300 customers that came in through that and, helped us generate a lot of buzz. You know, everyone knew about us because of the Kickstarter campaign. And, you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, people, you know, I think I think we've been around for a lot longer than we have. When I say we, we really only launched in May 2019, they're like, what? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I totally confirmed that. Like, I thought that Akua was a few years older than that, um, basically because of the Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that it took you a year to fulfill your, your campaign. It was Um, like, we kept telling people, this is like Avatar two of snacks. Like, (laughs) like, you know, James Cameron told us Avatar two is coming in like 2010 or something, like a couple of years after it came out. Like, and, and, and we told you it was coming in three months, but you're going to have to wait in Avatar two. It's going to be amazing. And there's going to be an Avatar three, four and five, apparently just like there's going to be like way more kelp snacks. Exactly. Sometimes things are worth waiting for. Exactly. Maybe some kelp chips in your future, right? Definitely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge on the show today. I feel like I've got so much to think about here and I know that 
you you've probably exploded some brains through people's earbuds on the other side as well. Where can people find you? How can they find Akua? How can they keep in touch with you? Of course. So first of all, I, I did do a medium post called when the world kelped out and what I learned about crowdfunding. So I'll send you that link. And then I have, uh, on Instagram, of course we are at life Akua. I am at CBM and, uh, our website is Akua, which is AKUA.co. So Akua.co. Awesome. I will link all of those in the show notes. I'll be sure to include your contact information and then that medium article as well. That's a really great article that shows some of the graphs and you know the charts that you were talking about too and your video and all of that. So again, thank you so much for joining us, CBM. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, my whizzes. I hope that you found today's episodes educational and inspirational. CBM gave us so much to think about in launching and marketing successful crowdfunding campaigns. So if you enjoyed the episode, you guys know what to do. Leave us a written review on your favorite podcasting platform. I am partial to reviews on iTunes and those reviews are going to help other emerging brands find the Food Biz Wiz podcast. We are all on the same mission to get better for you brands on the retail shelves and you can help support this podcast by spreading the word through ratings, reviews, and shares. So from there, let's continue the conversation in my Food Biz Wiz Facebook group linked in the show notes. And I can't wait to hear what you thought about CBM's crowdfunding tips. I'll see you right here next week. And until then, thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.